0: I'm glad we made it. I'm glad that the snow got cleared. And thank you to those who did do snow removal because it was a chore. It was. Also, I want to just inform you about one other opportunity. So we have many wonderful ministries here at Lakeview, and one of which is Embrace Grace Embrace Grace is entering its fourth semester on Tuesday, February 5th, and they're in need of people to help carry out their mission, and our mission, really, of seeking and saving the lost and meeting the needs of hurting people. And so we need people who can make snacks, people who can pray, people who can watch kids, and specifically provide food for the baby shower on April 13th. So if you're interested in that, meet Lori Moore and Janelle Rohrbach at the Welcome Center after service. But now... I want to tell you a story. And unlike the other stories I've told before, this one isn't fictional. It's true. There was a man who lived in the year 250, and his name was Antony. Now, Antony grew up in a Christian home, a wealthy Christian home at that. He was an obedient child. He did everything his parents said. He was attentive in church. He did all the right things things. The years went on and Anthony came to age, about 18 or 20, we're not so sure, and he got some pretty horrible news. His parents had passed away. And he was left with all of his family's wealth, all of his family's land, and his sister to take care of. And so this weighed heavy on Antony, and in the midst of this, he began to dwell on Scripture in a way he had never done before. He began to think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 when he says, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And two, Sorry, that was from Matthew chapter 19, correction. He started to think of how the apostles sold all they had and laid them down for the needy. And when he was dwelling over these things, he walked in the church, and he heard that passage that I just read to you from Jesus. If you want to be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the word hit Antony like it never had before. It seemed that God was speaking just to him. And so immediately he ran out and sold all of his possessions. He sold his 300-acre farm. He sold everything. Gave to the needy. And kept just enough to take care of his sister. Have you ever had an experience with Scripture like Antony? Now, I'm not asking, have you ever decided to sell all your possessions? I'm asking, have you ever felt like the Lord was speaking directly to you through the word? Have you ever felt compelled to do something as a result of reading his words to us? Have you ever felt that way? Today, we regard Antony, and there's a picture of him. Obviously, there's not a photograph, but that's a painting, as the very first Christian monk. And his life was changed. He was a Christian, and his life was changed even more by the words of Scripture. And that's what we're talking about today, being changed by Scripture. So we're dwelling in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses fourteen through seventeen. So if you would turn there also it is on the screen, but hear the word of the Lord from Second Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through seventeen. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Now, it's appropriate at this moment to review who exactly Timothy is. Obviously, we're not talking about the Timothy who is our senior pastor, right? But speaking of him, and John has a picture for us, that was uh, Tim, Pastor Tim sent me this picture from the gathering with 2,000 Wesleyan pastors. I wish he would have put his face in there, it would have made it, I think, a little bit better and maybe funnier, but... That's not the Timothy we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the Timothy who was a mentee of Paul. And where do we run into Timothy the first time? It's in the book of Acts. So I want to read you this short passage from Acts chapter 16. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And so we know that Timothy was a mentee of Paul. Timothy had a Jewish Christian mother, but his father was a Greek. And so Timothy was familiar with both worlds. And two, we also know from the beginning of this letter the second letter to Timothy, that Paul and Timothy had a unique relationship. You see, he addresses Timothy as his beloved child, and he says he longs to see Timothy. Now, when you think about it, Timothy didn't have a spiritual father because his dad was a Greek, and Paul had no son because he was celibate. And so they filled the void for each other, Paul wanting to pass his legacy on to someone. And Timothy desiring to have a spiritual father, someone to teach him in the spiritual ways. And so Paul writes this letter to his spiritual son. And in chapter 3, right before where we're reading, he's warning Timothy that there will be sinners in the last days, that people will get worse and worse But he points out that Timothy hasn't followed that way. He's followed the path of Paul, the path of righteousness, the path of Christ. And Paul warns Timothy, persecution will come to the godly. And the evil people will get worse and worse. And that brings us to this passage that we just read. But it's also important to note That just after this passage, Paul reveals something to us that's very important. See, in chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This could have very well been the last words of Paul To his spiritual son. Now imagine how after reading that. How much more closely Timothy held these to his heart. This is weighty. Have you ever had a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. In that sort of relationship. So now we're going to go through the verses. Piece by piece here. So Paul starts out. But contrasting Timothy with sinners. As for you. Timothy, continue, continue. Now there's something special about continue because continue means that you have to have already been doing something to keep going. You can't continue what you're not doing. You can continue not doing something, but you can't continue what you're not doing. And so Paul is telling Timothy, continue in what you've already been doing. Don't depart. This is nothing new for Timothy. But notice the nuance here. Do I have any runners in the room? It's not me. I don't like running. We've all probably ran at some point though, right? And we all know in our heads how to run. But it's a matter of, am I going to continue or not? Because sometimes you get running, and you're not sure if you can put one more foot in front of the other. But you know how to. And who better to tell Timothy this lesson than Paul? Once Saul, the persecutor, turned Paul, the persecuted. Who better? And Paul goes on. In what you've learned and firmly believed. Now what's interesting here is the word for learned is related to the word for disciple. So this is quite literally what Timothy has been discipled in. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's what you've learned and you firmly believed. You see, you could know all the answers. You can know all the Christian answers, but it makes a difference when you firmly believe it, when you find it trustworthy, when you find Christ to be the truth. Timothy had moved from head knowledge to heart knowledge. He firmly believed, he was fully assured in what he had been discipled. In, And Paul moves on, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, here's an interesting point, because in the Greek, you notice that the whom is plural. It's easy to think and assume that, oh, well, Paul must be speaking of himself alone. No, it has to be more than that, because Paul is only one person. So who could he have been talking about? Well, we know in the beginning of this letter that Paul points out the faith of Timothy's grandmother and mother. And two, there was likely even more people that had discipled Timothy. But the point is, is that Timothy needed to remember who taught him. Why? Why would it matter for him to remember who taught him? Now, college is back in session. Which means there are students writing papers and professors grading papers, and I'm sorry to both groups. But it's my last semester. I get through it. All right. But what makes a good paper? What makes a good paper? Is it good writing? Right. Maybe a creative writing paper. Yeah, that's so. Maybe a story. But when you're writing a research paper, if someone can tickle your ear, but they don't have good sources. It's not a good paper. It's all about the sources. It's all about the authority that you're backing on. And Paul is warning Timothy of this because there are false teachers out there. In fact, he warns Timothy of people saying that the resurrection has already happened. That is the resurrection that's to come when Christ returns. And that's not so at this time, and it's still not so. I'm looking forward to it. And so Timothy is being charged by Paul. Remember your sources. Don't go off looking for new ones and be cautious when new ones arise. There are still people today, folks, who know the scriptures and can lead us astray. And we need to be cautious. But that's not the main point of this sermon. And Paul continues. And how from childhood? In these words we see that This was not something, this training was not something that was unfamiliar or new to Timothy. This had happened in the very beginning of his life, which is interesting considering that his father was a Greek. But his mother and his grandmother took that place. You see, traditionally in Jewish culture, the man was responsible for his children's education in the scriptures. They went to the synagogue as well, but... It was the man's responsibility. But that was not the case for Timothy. His mother had to fill that gap. These were Timothy's bedtime stories, stories he was familiar with, the scriptures. Paul continues, From childhood you have known the sacred writings. Now what are sacred writings? It's nothing but a synonym for scripture. But Paul is pointing out here that these writings are set apart. They are holy. They are different. These aren't the writings of philosophers. These aren't the writings of scientists or politicians or poets. These are the writings of God that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures can instruct us for salvation, We see in the Scriptures the need for Christ. It's not that reading the Scriptures makes us saved. It's that the Scriptures point us to what we need to do, right? Scripture offers something that people can never offer. Notice how Paul says look to the sacred writings that were able to lead you to Christ, not the people. It's not that people can't lead you there, but where do they look? The scriptures. You see, because scripture doesn't change its mind. Scripture doesn't grow old. Scripture doesn't die. It's not the reading of scripture that qualifies us to salvation. It leads us to salvation. It leads us to seeing the need for Christ. Now, here's the big verse. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, what does this word inspired mean? This is the only time that it's used in the New Testament. And it's probably a word that Paul created. Now, if you look at the etymology of it, and you throw it up there on the screen, Theonustos, theo meaning God and Nustos meaning breathe. God breathed. And from this we infer that the Lord is also speaking of the Spirit in this because of the Spirit's likeness to wind, to breath. But the point is is that Paul is showing us what makes Scripture, Scripture. It's the fact that it's inspired by God. It's the fact that it comes from the mouth of God. Now here's a confusing question. But what is all Scripture to Paul? Was it the entire New Testament and the Old Testament? What was it? Scripture to Paul was the Old Testament. Paul believed you could see Christ in the Old Testament. Now, could it have been possible for Paul to regard the Gospels or any of his writings as Scripture? I suppose so. But the more likely thought is that he was referring to the Old Testament. And now you may be thinking, well, how do we call the New Testament Scripture then? Something I think is helpful is to read an excerpt from the Wesleyan discipline, which is the handbook of the Wesleyan Church and also useful for throwing at each other in the office when we say something heretical. But here is an excerpt from paragraph 218 about our belief in the Wesleyan Church on Scripture. We believe that the books of the Old and New Testaments constitute the Holy Scriptures. They are inspired and infallibly written word of God fully inherent in their original manuscripts and superior to all human authority and have been transmitted to the present without corruption of any essential doctrine. Both in the Old and New Testaments, life is offered ultimately through Christ, who is the only mediator between God and humanity. The New Testament teaches Christians how to fulfill the moral principles of the Old Testament calling for loving obedience made possible by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So today, even though Paul didn't see that, we see that as the Spirit working through Paul. And people long before us decided that the Spirit had worked through all of those writings. And so we call them Scripture today. Now what is certain is that Paul was looking through the Old Testament through gospel eyes. Looking at the Old Testament through what Christ has done. Obviously, Paul was familiar with the story of the gospel, but necessarily he didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in his hands. Does that make sense? And Paul moves on from here because because these writings are inspired. And gifted to us from God. They are useful for four things. Centered around the theme of righteousness. Which is right action in the eyes of God. It is useful for teaching. Learning righteousness. Learning truth. Learning knowledge. It's useful for reproof in righteousness, showing us what is wrong, demonstrating to us what is unrighteous. It's useful for correction, showing us how to move from unrighteousness to righteousness, and useful for training in righteousness, for continually maturing ourselves in what is right and true. Now, if you remember... Pastor Tim talked about something called imputed righteousness. So you're going to learn more vocabulary today. And be aware because there's a vocab test before member reaffirmation. I'm just kidding. But we it's helpful to look at that. Because Pastor Tim has enlightened us to what imputed righteousness is. And that is the righteousness that... Christ puts on us so that we have right standing before God. Christ takes our unrighteousness and gives us his righteousness so that when we stand before the Lord, we're clean. Now, if that's true, why would I need to train in righteousness? Now, I want to tell you a story about my life. When I was a kid... My mom and my grandma were really into making costumes for me for Halloween. And we had these competitions, and I usually got first, not trying to be conceited. I didn't make it, okay? But I varied in all these different costumes. I was the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. I was a Lion from Wizard of Oz. I was Jim Carrey's The Mask. I was <clears throat> a Mountain Dew can. And one time, I was Smarty Pants. So there's a picture Get it? Because there's smarties on my pants. All right. So, but here's the thing about wearing a costume. Here's the thing. Is that when we're wearing a costume, we want to act like the character. Now, when people aren't wearing costumes, they can do impressions. But when you're wearing a costume... There's something that helps you act more like the character. When you put on a costume, you act like the character that you are dressed as. At first, people are like, wow, you wear that costume, but man, you're not very good at acting like that person. But the longer that you wear it, the more that you practice, the more you study the original person and the character, the better you become in acting like them. And the same is true when we put on Christ's imputed righteousness. Now there's another kind of righteousness that I just illustrated for you. And I threw up a dichotomy and a little fun word smithing to make it easier. So, John, if you want to throw that up. Imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is when we put on Christ's righteousness. Imparted righteousness is is when Christ's righteousness becomes a part of us. That's sanctification, folks. When we put on Christ, it enables us to walk in a way, in a righteous way, we never had the ability to do before. Becoming more like Christ, wearing the costume of Christ, demands that we act like him, So that is what Paul is talking about when he says that Scripture is good for training in righteousness. Now why would you have to train in righteousness? Moving on to the next verse. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. fully equipped, not lacking anything. And what could the good work be but act, the act of loving God and loving neighbor on our walls in this book? Fully equipped, showing us what righteousness is. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, I get it, I'm supposed to read scripture. It's a pretty easy application, right? Right? I could even go to how you should train your child up in Scriptures or how you should rebuke people or Christians who are not acting scripturally. But that's not what I want to highlight in this passage. What I want to highlight is that Scripture is the place where we learn to act like Christ in the Old and the New Testaments. Reading alone doesn't make us righteous. This is how God works. He has to convict us and we have to say, yes, I'm wrong. But he has to convict you first. We can read through the entire book, folks, and never be convicted. What is the condition of your heart when you are reading? When we harden our hearts to what scripture has to say, we're really shutting God out of our hearts and refusing to have his righteousness imparted to us. Wearing the costume of Christ, claiming to be a Christian but not acting like him. These are the people that give us a bad name, folks. Do you have the humility to see And let God convict you, punch you in the spiritual gut, and move forward, and let the Holy Spirit change you. You don't do it alone. The only reason you're able to do it is because you have Christ's righteousness over you, and it's becoming a part of you. And so there's various opportunities in this church where we can expose ourselves to Scripture. So I'll throw out the Bible reading guide again. It's great. It's wonderful. If we're not continually bringing ourselves face-to-face with Scripture, we don't have the opportunity to see what's wrong in our hearts. And do you know what else is cool about the reading guide? Is that everyone else is doing it, hopefully, and that you can talk about the Scripture you read for that day. The other week I was in Pastor Tim's office, and we were having one of our long conversations. And... <laughs> He said something, and it reminded me of one of the readings I had read from that day. I was like, man, that really reminds me from this, from Cain and Abel. And then he went on, and he was like, man, this really reminds me of this from the Tower of Babel. Seeing together. The point of Scripture, folks, is not information. Information. It's transformation. God didn't gift the scriptures to his people just so they could know about him. He gifted the scriptures to them so they could know how to act like he wanted them to. In closing thoughts, I want to read to you some quotes from some very godly men, one of them being the founder of our movement, John Wesley. And Wesley says the spirit of God not one only once inspired those who wrote it but continually inspires supernaturally assists those that read it with earnest prayer It's about your posture not about the quantity Are you a reader of scripture And the other quote I want to read you comes from a man named Jerome. Now, Jerome was the man who gave us the Latin Vulgate, a Latin translation of the scriptures. He translated from Hebrew into Latin, and he was even criticized for it because people thought that other translations were fine. But regardless, he made it. And that being said, Jerome spent time in the scriptures probably more than anyone in this room, having to interpret to a level that we usually don't have to dive because he's having to see if he can carry the thought from one language to another. And on this verse, Jerome says, read the divine scriptures constantly. Never, indeed, let the sacred volume be out of your hand. The key to reading scripture in a transformative way and training in righteousness is realizing that this work is unlike all other works in history. This library is transformative. This library is from our Lord making us to be like his son. Will you make a commitment this year to not letting the sacred volume depart from your hand? Will you make a commitment this year? We'll call it the Timothy Challenge. If that's you, I challenge you to do the reading guide, but not just read it alone. Or just read it to learn scripture. Read it to be transformed. We want to be people of the word here. If you would stand and pray with me. Holy Spirit, forgive us for the times when we have not dwelt in the sacred words you have provided for us to train in righteousness We pray that you would make us people of your word, not for our glory, but for yours. So that we might not only be people who claim to be Christians, but who actually act like Christians. Soften our hearts to the conviction that your word provides and sanctifies us, that we might carry out righteousness in your power. Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would make us people who know the Word, but more than that, we pray that you would make us people who would do your Word. We ask that this Bible reading guide be a means by which you make us the people of Lakeview Wesleyan Church, people who better reflect Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father who gives grace, the Son who brings redemption and your holy, you, Holy Spirit who brings sanctification, we pray. Never let the sacred volume depart from our hands, our minds, or our hearts. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you journey together, as we journey together in studying and living out the very breath of God, his word. Go in peace.